is up, guys, and welcome to this special episode of What an E-Vision, the first ever podcast dedicated to Paraguayan football in English. As always, I'm Roberto Rojas, and joining me is my co-host, Ralph Hanna, as today we will talk about one of the opponents that Paraguay has in the current World Cup qualifiers for September. They will be taking on Venezuela, and here we have as our special guest to have an outlook on the Vino Tinto is Jordan Florid, a freelance journalist based in Caracas specializing in Venezuelan football, and is also the author of Red Wine and Arepas, How Football is Becoming Venezuela's Religion. So I'm super excited about this one. I'm super excited to go right into what the Vino Dito's uh, perspective is for these qualifiers. So let's get our guest in here first. Jordan, how are you? And I wanted to jump in real quick for maybe for those that don't know you or maybe haven't followed you on Twitter or followed some of the work that you do. What is your connection to Venezuelan football? Hey, well, firstly, thanks uh, for, for having me um, as we are rivals this triple date. Uh, so behind enemy lines, if you like, but happy to be here. Um, and as you said in, in your great intro, um, the author of Red Wine and Adepas, How Football's Become Venezuela's Religion. That's my, my main connection, if you like, to, to Venezuelan football, but obviously needed a reason to write that book. Um, and that was really down to uh, a long interest in Venezuela as a country and, and just the belief that football is, is such a, an insightful way to learn about a country. I think you can get a lot of reflections of a country and an, an idea of its psyche through football. And that was really the purpose uh, of the book. Um, started writing that in 2019, uh, published last year. And then I've been here three weeks now, um, chose to emigrate here to continue uh, with my, my projects in journalism and in football in general. Um, so yeah, thank you for, thank you for having me on and, it's a, it's a big, big 10, 15 days for, for Venezuelan football. And of course, starting as of recording in two days with the hosting of, of Argentina, a game that I'm lucky enough to go to. Uh, it's the first Venezuelan game uh, with fans back since the coronavirus pandemic started. Uh, they're having 6,000 fans and the stadium's just under 24,000, so about 25%. Uh, tickets sold out in, in two days with a lot of long queues. So feel feel very lucky to go to my first live Venezuela game. That's definitely going to be a geek game to watch, but obviously we will have to talk about the game against Paraguay that will happen in Asuncion. But before we get into that, I do want to ask, Jordan, and you talk about how it is a crucial moment for not just for Venezuela, but also for Paraguay as well. As we currently speak, Venezuela are currently in ninth place with four points, one win, one draw, and four losses to their name. Obviously, the win was against Chile in Caracas. So, you know, you said that you've already immigrated there a couple of weeks ago. You're in Venezuela, so you kind of get the vibe of what's going on there but I do wanted to ask what is that vibe that we're seeing right now with this Venezuela side especially now that they've you know recently got a new manager they fired uh, um, uh, Penicero yep and they, now they got Leonardo Gonzalez as their as their manager so what is the vibe right now in Venezuela heading into these important games I think it's sort of like a a mix of despondency and self-deprecation. And this is a, a self-deprecation that I've come to find almost identifies a lot of the, the football culture in Venezuela. Everyone was aiming in, in Venezuelan football, like the Federation, the league, everyone involved in decision-making, et cetera, and funding were, were really put a lot of emphasis on qualifying for Qatar 2022. It would have been the first World Cup for Venezuela should they qualify. Um, and as you said, the, the record of, of 114 so far is, is very precarious and makes this triple date very, very important. As it stands, you know, we're a third of the way through qualifying. 
and come the end of this triple date, we'll be um, halfway there. So Paraguay being our last of those three games is going to probably take on added importance with each of those games that come before it. Now, Argentina, obviously outstanding, um, probably, you know, Copa America champions, but, you know, on paper, probably the second best team in the continent after Brazil. And although Venezuela's recent home record and recording in Caracas in particular is, is very strong, you know, as a Venezuelan um, fan, you don't expect to get a win against Argentina. Peru away, we, I remember when we were researching for the, the Cop, during the Copa America about Venezuela's record against Peru. I don't think they haven't won a competitive fixture against Peru outside of Venezuela for a long, 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 long time. Uh, so we've got two difficult fixtures before we face yourselves, before we face Paraguay. Um, and, you know, the fewer points we get out of the possible six beforehand, the more important a win against yourself becomes. So that the mood in the mood in general is, is it really is the defining point of the qualification campaign this triple day. Because um, for now, you know, the group hasn't, no one's pulled away. It's too early to pull away, really. But, you know, ultimately you need that fifth place for the playoff. And that's not, as it stands, that is nowhere near out of reach. But these three, these three games, nine points, is going to swing it a lot. Uh, not just what will Venezuela pick up in those nine, but you know what will, will the other nations pick up in that nine. And the group will look very different in, in twelve days. And it, I think it's going to make or break Venezuela's chances. That's uh, that's very sobering. The first part about the despondency, and you have Argentina at, at home to start, but. Looking at a positive side for, for Venezuela, one player that we see a lot here in the US is uh, Joseph Martinez, who's come back from injury. And he's on a brilliant run of form at the moment with, with Atlanta kind of rediscovering that, that scoring form that, we've, uh, that we'd seen before. Um, what do you think about him specifically and, and how important is somebody like Joseph Martinez to this Venezuela team? Yeah, I think it's it's a it's a good opportunity for for Martinez to stake a claim for the the starting jersey, particularly if Venezuela are going to continue with whoever takes over. Because you know, Leo Gonzalez has these three games on an interim basis. If he does well here, he'll possibly get the job. But it seems very very likely the federation have already said that they're going for like an international manager, i.e. a foreign manager, to take over the job on a permanent basis. So it's almost certain that, that Leo Gonzalez is only going to be in charge for these three games following Jose Pacero's resignation. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Jose Pacero's resignation came due to um, an untenable situation where he hadn't been paid in 12 to 14 months at all. Um, and he, you know, in his own words, more or less said, regrettably, he has no other option. Uh, so, you know, that feeds into the, the, the self-deprecating mood in the country, like, you know, what more can go wrong for Venezuela? It always feels like something's just gone wrong and, and it always seems to happen just before, you know, qualification campaigns. And even today we've had Jordan Osorio, um, probably one of Venezuela's best, if not best centre-back, uh, pulling out through injury after he played a very good 90 minutes at the weekend. Um, and there's there's been... You know, Salomon Rondon not travelling to begin with again is another absence. So Jose Martinez could really step up. Uh, obviously, it's well documented that he temporarily stood down from national team duty under Rafael Dudamel towards the end of his tenure um, and then made his availability um, available, if you like, again, once, once Dudamel had gone. So this really is an opportunity. You saw 
He got the goal against Uruguay um, excellently early on that was then disallowed. But it, he has that that quality and has that raw pace that, that Salomon Rondon, you know, was never the quickest player. Um, but, you know, he's losing that with age. And also he is not match fit, in all honesty. Like he hasn't played. I know the European leagues are only just starting again, but, you know, he hasn't played since the end of the Russian season um, where he was on loan at CSKA in Moscow. Uh, and his future's undefined. And Will Karangel is another player who hasn't come to national team duty because his future's undefined. So it, the players that are there, like Jose Martinez and Jefferson Sotelo, who are rich in form, I, I really hope that they both get the starts that, that they deserve, not because of just their quality, but also the vein of form they're in. Because, you know, the Copper America was no milestone, no yardstick to measure Venezuela by because of, um, you know, 13 to 17 absences across the playing staff and the coaching staff due to COVID. You saw essentially a C team play in the Copa America and, and really hold their head up high until that final game against Peru. Um, and so I think these, again, you've now got these, this triple date and you're thinking, well, maybe we can see what Venezuela are really capable of. And then Jose Pacero resigns, you know, less than two weeks before the first game. So it, it's just a constant state of flux that Venezuela and the national team has found itself in for, for coming on two years now. You spoke about the, the almost the C team in the Copa America. Venezuela actually travelled to Asuncion in the last set of World Cup qualifiers with what was pretty much a B team. They were already out of the World Cup themselves, but they managed to win against Paraguay in Asuncion, leaving leaving the Albiroca without able to, to get into that playoff spot to try and go to, to Russia. It was the second win in a row that, that Venezuela have achieved in Asuncion in World Cup qualifiers. So is this one of the games that they're identifying as, out of all our away games, this is maybe our best chance to pick up some points? Yeah, I think, I think they'll probably feel that way, you know, the, the, the team, the, the coaching staff in general, about the two away games in this triple header. I think they they looked to Peru and Paraguay having uh, having lost to Bolivia away already as as where they're going to get points um, on the road. And, you know, I, I, I say that with respect too, because I, I genuinely feel like Venezuela should have got something out of Paraguay in, in, in Medina earlier in this qualifying. Um, you know, Yangel Herrera missed the penalty and had a goal disallowed uh, contentiously as well. And then it was a bit of a sucker punch for Paraguay to get, you know, a, a late winner in like about 10 minutes from the end. Um, and, you know, Venezuela didn't play well that game. Uh, Pesero's start to the, the World Cup qualifiers was abysmal. Uh, we lost to Colombia heavily and played terribly. And then, you know, we, we played badly against yourselves, but, but had the better chances to win just to miss them. And then, and then you get the winner. So I, I think a much improved um, Venezuela is what we'll see, with, which hopefully will, will mean a good chance of three points. I think if we lose to Argentina and we don't beat Peru, it's fair to say that the Paraguay game becomes must-win for Venezuela. So looking into, obviously, the manager with Leo Gonzalez, obviously with this kind of uh, resignation of Jose Pesedo, how do you feel that Venezuela fans are feeling about this new intern manager, you know, who also has worn the shirt uh, back in the day? Yeah, I think it was the best that could have happened in the circumstances. Uh, it, it, was, it was always going to be an interim, given what the public know, at least, and the closeness to the date that 
the Pesado's resignation came. And the, the candidates, considering, you know, Liga Futebol is in the, in, you know, the real meat of the season, about 60, 60, 70% in, and the candidates all being employed, essentially. Um, you know, the, the names in the hat were, because it became clear very often, early on, it was going to be a current Liga Futebol manager. The names in the hat were Leo Gonzalez, the Deportivo Lara manager, who's got the job. Um, Noel San Vicente, the Caracas manager, who I imagine probably in reality was never ever going to be taking it. Um, or uh, Daniel Farias, Cesar Farias' brother, Cesar Farias, as you know, being the Bolivia manager, former Venezuela manager. Daniel has experiences as his assistant at national team level Bolivia and Venezuela. He won the league with Deportivo La Guara last season. Um, so it, it probably came down to Farias or Gonzalez. I'm personally happy it was Gonzalez. Uh, Deportivo Lara finished um, essentially third last season, if you like. They, they got to the, the, the playoff. They, they finished uh, second in, in their group that was divided in, the, the league was divided into two groups. They finished second in theirs to Deportivo Lara playing really nice football. And if you look at Deportivo Lara's team from last season, the headline players were Freddy Vargas, who's since gone to FC Dallas, and Jesus Bueno, who's just been signed by Philadelphia Union. Um, and Lara have a, a good record of, of young players being produced in recent times, and that is very much down to Leo Gonzalez. Uh, so you've got someone who who has who knows Venezuelan football, which Jose Pacero suffered from in the early games. I think he misjudged how he set out against Comable and um, sorry against Colombia and Bolivia. Um, so you've got someone that, that knows Venezuelan football and, as you said, was a former international, so, so knows the challenges of South America. Um, and somebody that also had his eye on this job for a long time. That you can go back and see interviews over the past five, six years where he has said his ultimate ambition was to manage Venezuela. Um, so this, this isn't someone that's just sitting in for a while, waiting for somebody else to come. It is because it's an interim position, but in terms of mood and approach, it's going to be a very invested coaching staff that are going to really, really like feel emotionally empowered to get something out of these games. I'm happy with the appointment. The, the style of football that Deportivo Lara play, um, I like. Um, you know, he plays, he plays down the wings. Um, he plays fast, fast football and he plays attacking football. And, and we didn't get that with Jose Becerra. Um, and I know the Copa America, I, I say again, it's, it's no, no, fair analysis of, of what he could have achieved and I really feel like he was making progress but ultimately we, we more or less played 5-4-1 every game um, and, and never took the initiative. Um, I think maybe not against Argentina because it's Argentina but I, I, I genuinely expect us to take the initiative against Peru and Paraguay. So looking at obviously this manager and you know I, and obviously the team as a whole I wanted to ask like what do you feel like the weakest part of them is right now something that maybe Paraguay can exploit and just like the reaction of the players for all these constant changes that are going on, um, at least for, for Venezuela from a managerial standpoint, is there a case that maybe there are players that might quit and, and, and not play for this team? Or do you feel that they will indeed have to obey and, and just stay put and, and, you know, be a part of a, of a grueling process that is the World Cup qualifiers? Yeah, I think it's, it's difficult. There's certainly a feeling amongst some Venezuelan fans that some players don't want to be involved or or don't seem as 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 passionate to wear the shirt as previous. Uh, there is a feeling of that amongst large um, numbers of, of Venezuelan fans and particularly vocal about it on social media. But I think like the Copa America really brought 
the Venezuelan population behind the national team in a way that they probably hadn't had for a while. Uh, maybe as maybe as far back as as 2017 when the under-20s got to the World Cup final because towards the end of Dudamel's tenure, the fan base were more or less pretty bored of his football um, and, and feeling like no real progress was being made. Um, the Copa America was a rallying point because, like I said, it was a C team, but they got decent results. They weren't humiliated by Brazil and they actually played quite well. And then in their next two games, I know they, they didn't, um, you know, advance, but they, they did play well. And to... To fight back with that last minute equaliser that Ronald Hernandez got, which gave them a, a fighting chance of, of getting through if they'd beaten Peru in the last game, or even if they hadn't, but results had gone their way elsewhere. And that really rallied the support. And, you know, Mano Tengo Fe became like the rally cry, like, brother, I have faith. And like, it, it really, it galvanised the support. So I, I think going into this, the, this triple header, um, although there's this despondency and self-deprecation about things, you know, on match day, it's insane. Like it's all, all people speak about and, and it's all people are, are concerned about really. And in Venezuela, the, the way they're allowing 6,000 fans is everyone is being PCR tested. Um, so, you know, in the next two days, it starts tomorrow morning, um, throughout Tuesday and Wednesday at the stadium, they, they need to test 6,000 fans. So I'll be going myself and queuing up and, and, and getting tested. Um, and the testing times are between eight and four. And I think that gives another insight into how much people want this. Like people are going to be bailing on work to go and get these PCR tests. And for a lot of people, that might mean bailing on a wage packet. And everyone knows the economy in Venezuela is difficult. Um, you know, people might say the only people going to this game are the people who can afford it. The tickets are either $25 or $50. And then the PCR test is an additional $25. So obviously a lot of people are priced out. But I still think it's an insight into to how much people were caring about this, this um, game. And I know the pool of Messi to Argentina is always going to fill out the stadium, but um, I, I think it's reflective. In terms of weak spots in the team, the obvious weak spot for Venezuela's national team for quite a while now uh, in the public discourse is left-back. People will tell you left-back is, is where we're weakest. Um, you know, we, we have centre-backs playing left-back out of position who are left-footed, who can do a job there. That ha happens often with like Mikel Villanueva, for example, or, or Luis Mago. Um, but it looks like Daniel Carrillo, who's had a good season in Finland, is, is going to be playing left back. Um, you know, he's never been uh, a part of the national team in a serious way before, um, but it looks like he'll, he'll get it. But I'd still identify it as a weak spot. Um, a, a, second, a second weak spot, uh, down to circumstance, probably is going to be in the middle of the park. Uh, Rincon, uh, fingers crossed, will we'll play all three games and be available for all three games, but Yangel Herrera is not. Um, a mixture of reasons. He had the stress fracture that he picked up in Copa America, but similarly, his future is undefined. He's obviously owned by Manchester City, but hasn't found a, a club for next season, being it permanently or, um, or on loan. And Christian Caceres Jr. is, is also missing um, from the squad down to injury. And Christian Caceres and uh, Yangel are uh, the future of the midfield, of Venezuela's midfield. And Christian Castro in particular had a very good Copa America. Um, so we're short there. Uh, presuming Rincon plays, I expect Rincon to line up uh, alongside Brujo Martinez from Philadelphia Union and Moreno from DC United, unless um, we play two in the middle and not three and, and free up a position for a 10 to play, in which case I expect it to be Otero, who's recently gone to Cruz Azul in Mexico. So looking at how 
Venezuela perceives Paraguay. Ralph had mentioned beforehand that the last two times that Venezuela had come to Asuncion, they were able to get two historic wins. The first ever win in Asuncion in a World Cup qualifier happened uh, during the qualifiers for 2014. And then obviously the last game of the qualifier process that denied Paraguay a chance to go to Russia. But given the history that they've had and looking at it, obviously, before that Paraguay had gotten a perfect record against them in total, it's uh, 11 wins, three losses, and one draw out of all the games that they played in the World Cup qualifiers. What is the perception from Venezuela towards the Paraguayans? Obviously, a team that made it to many World Cups, obviously been competitive in, in many games that they play against, either in Copa Americas or in World Cup qualifiers. But I just want that kind of perception from you and what do you think the Venezuelans feel about La Viroja, especially for this game? Yeah, I think it's it's like a... It's like a, it's, it's a, I'd say it's a, a rivalry between Venezuela, Paraguay, Peru, and maybe Ecuador. Not not a rivalry like England, Germany, Brazil, Argentina, but a rivalry on competing for you know those next spaces after you know Brazil, Argentina, Uruguay, Colombia get there for, which is you know almost certain. Perhaps Colombia not as strong at the moment as they have been. Similarly, Uruguay, but you know those four normally write themselves. Um, and then I think it's, it's the next bracket kind of thing. And I think Venezuela at the moment, in terms of their players and the quality of players they're exporting to, to Europe and the US, I think they're quite rightly looking um, across to Peru and Paraguay and thinking like, you know, we, we're at this level or better. We should be winning these games. But it doesn't transform to the national team. And there's, there's that constant annoyance that they have good players around the globe, but they're not performing on the national team. Like, you know... Soteldo is a, is a wonderful player and I think Venezuelan fans want Soteldo to be what Almoron is to Paraguay. Um, you know, you've got your clear talismans and, you know, before Almoron, although obviously he's, he's playing until recently and still playing in your league, Roque Santa Cruz, like you've always had those talismans and, you know, obviously Rondon is a talisman for Venezuela. Um, you know, he's their top scorer with like 32 goals, but there's, there's not that it feels like at the moment, especially in the past few years where Rondon's involvement is becoming lesser, needing someone to come to the fore and, and be that talismanic figure. And I think that's what Venezuela lack. They, they have the quality, but, but it seems like the other nations, when they come and play as a country in qualifiers or Copa America, are, are at the moment better at pulling together and, and getting things done. So I, I think there's like a, a, a rivalry, but a jealousy. Um, and I think it's a bit of a dichotomy between the two. Yeah, absolutely. I think we feel that way as well. And I think certainly because Venezuela have gotten much more stronger in recent years, they're not that pushover. I mean, I mean, sorry, yeah, they aren't a pushover and a team that should um, be a certain win that, that, you know, you have to respect them and obviously go out and, and try to get the best out of your opponent and obviously the best that we can provide as well. So I completely agree. Now, to close it out, Jordan, now we do have to ask, as we've asked to our guests from Ecuador and from Colombia, your prediction and how you assess this game in particular and where Venezuela can indeed take advantage for a historic third straight win in Asuncion if it were to happen. Okay, so my my heart my heart says Venezuela to win 2-1, but my head says we're going to get a score draw that doesn't really benefit either of us. Um, I, I'm thinking it's going to end 1-1. Um, but, I, I, you know, my heart says Venezuela 2-1, but I think a 1-1 draw is how it's going to finish. Oh, well, hopefully for me and Ralph, that, that isn't the case and that we get all three points over there in Asuncion. No offense, obviously, Jordan, but maybe, hey, hey, you can beat Argentina. If you can do that, by yeah. all means, maybe that would be nice Argentina to see. Argentina and Peru, maybe it's fine. 
Absolutely. Uh, before we let you go, Jordan, where can everyone find your work? Obviously, plug yourself on all social media. The floor is yours. Uh, so my my personal account on Twitter is Jordan Florit, just my name, uh, and I also uh, run Football English, a English language page dedicated to Venezuelan football, the league and national teams, men's and women's, which I I run predominantly with Jose Bisogno. And on Instagram, I'm Jordan Florit slash Football English, and my 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 stuff from from Twitter normally goes across onto Instagram. I'm far more active on Twitter. Excellent. Thank you so much for coming on, Jordan. It was a real pleasure to have you on your insight towards Venezuela for this game. So for myself, Roberto Rojas, and for Ralph Hanna, thank you so much for listening to this special episode of Guarani Vision. See you soon.